This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. All right, guys, it's time to listen up. Does the thought of trimming your boys with one of those multi-blade razors scare the heck out of you? Because it should. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag the family jewels. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and they've also come up with a crop preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer that's perfect for those sensitive areas. So guys, right now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BIGHEADS. Always use the right tools for the job. Your boys will thank you. We are four friends in three states across two time zones with a shared passion. Welcome to the Sports Talk Garage Podcast, where we hit the fast lane to discuss our favorite drives, from the track in the ice to the court in the ball fields. We are four lifelong friends who grew up with a love of professional and collegiate sports. Today, we are bankers, investors, professors, and entrepreneurs, but our love of sports has never changed. Come listen for the fun, gain some insight, and probably a few laughs, as we give you our perspective on those last lap lead changes, game-winning scores, and franchise players. This is the Sports Talk Garage. Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 18 of the Sports Talk Garage Podcast. I'm your host, John, as always. Just want to remind you guys that we're taking a quick break for the holiday season. Hope you guys are all having safe travels and great time with friends and family over this season. Um, Just to recap our prediction game from last week, the Buffalo Bulls versus the Charlotte 49ers in the Makers 1 in Bahamas Bowl. Buffalo was favored by 6.5, ended up winning by 22. Ouch, 49ers, that hurts. Uh, that means Chris, myself, and Matt are winners on that one. Georgia Southern versus the Liberty Flames. Uh, David went, uh, let's see, who won this one? Uh, Matt went Georgia Southern. Actually, on this one, they were favored by 5. Liberty ends up winning by 7. So Chris, David, and myself get a point for that one. Houston Texans at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Texans are favored by only two and a half. A little surprising on there. They win by a close four points. So David, myself, and Matt get a point on that one. And the Buffalo Bills at New England Patriots. The over-under on this one was 38 and a half. Oh, so close. Final end up being 41. So the winner on that one was going to be Chris and David who took the over. Just to recap the standings, Chris is 3-1 on the week. David 3-1, myself 3-1, and Matt is 2-2. Two that puts uh, Matt Sua in the top with 40 wins, followed by Chris at 38, myself at 36, and David at 34. Since this is a holiday break for us, we decided we would give you a best of uh, from our season one. This is an interview with uh, ESPN uh, sports commentator and sports analyst Mike Tilly. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. It was a great, great time with Mike uh, talking about kind of life uh, as a sports commentator and, and play-by-play guy. So we hope you enjoy it as he talks about how he got into it and what life is like, the travel schedule, the preparation, and everything goes into it. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Again, happy holidays. Uh, welcome to episode 26 of the Sports Talk Garage podcast. We're happy to be back with you this week. My name is David. I'm joined by my co-host, John, and we have a special guest with us this evening, Mike Tilly, a veteran play-by-play announcer uh, doing college football, college basketball, uh, in the industry, and we're happy to have him on tonight. So, thanks, to the David. Podcast, Great Mike. to be with you and John. Well, we appreciate you coming on, taking some time with us, just to kind of talk about life and the world of play-by-play announcing. 
Um, so if you wouldn't mind, just uh, give us a little background as to yourself, um, just kind of what you do. If you can share whatever details you okay, like. Okay, well, I appreciate that. I've, um, yeah, I've been doing sports casting for a long time now. <laughs> I grew up in uh, North Carolina, Tobacco Road, ACC country, and um, right in the middle of the big four, I guess you'd say, Carolina, Duke, NC State, and Wake Forest. So my childhood was filled with, uh, you know, Dean Smith and Norm Sloan and Bill Foster and Bones McKinney and all those kinds of folks, um, you know, Phil Ford, Michael Jordan, David Thompson, Christian Leitner, all those kinds of names in the late 70s, early 80s. Well, you are definitely hitting home with us. We all grew up in Charlotte, so (laughs) Carolina sports are really big, and yeah, it certainly hits home with us, which is awesome. That's awesome. Well, I was in Greensboro, and so for a long time, we had the, you know, the ACC tournament in Greensboro, and then it, uh, of course, would sort of appear at Charlotte, you know, every once in a while, the moving around a little and they used to have that big four tournament uh, pre almost like a preseason tournament mm-hmm. for college basketball in the ACC in Greensboro and uh, just a lot of intense kind of games you know growing growing up and and really it, it was a time uh, for me growing up in high school and all when radio was really about the only way that you could connect to a game live you either went to the game or you listened on radio. Of course, you could read about it in the newspaper the next day or whatever. But um, so I grew up listening to all of these voices, you know, Woody Durham and Bob Harris and uh, uh, Gary Hahn and others who were just sort of these vibrant, exciting radio play-by-play guys. And then the ACC sort of launched its uh, TV package with Raycom and Pilot Life. And you had people like Jim Thacker and Billy Packer, and they did their game of the week. Um, and really, I don't think there was anything more exciting than the ACC basketball tournament during that time. I think it was more exciting than the NCAA basketball tournament. I mean, the <laughs> games, the overtimes, the unbelievable storylines, all of that. And so I just sort of got wrapped up and caught up uh, in that. And, um, you know, I, of course, at that time, you had really the major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. It was before ESPN really came along. And so, you know, Dick Inberg and Bob Costas and Brent Musburger, Kirk Gowdy, Jim McKay, those kinds of folks were doing the television coverage. And I just, I don't know, I was just fascinated by it all. And I wanted to sort of make my way into that world. And so I went on to college and uh, study communications, and it just led step by step to to opportunities of getting into sports broadcasting and doing games, and just sort of took me on a trail to to uh, do some games for ESPN, a bunch of regional networks. Uh, we had Sports South back in the day, and Fox Sports South, and the Mid Atlantic Channel, and. Uh, I did the Southern Conference today, uh, a football highlight show for several years, uh, just promoting uh, the Southern Conference and covering all those teams and worked for the ABC affiliate in Virginia and, and did uh, anchoring and sports reporting. And so I ended up covering, I think, practically every <laughs> sport uh, known to man. I mean, whether it was archery, <laughs> whether it was drag racing, oh, from, wow. you know, but it was college football and college basketball that I really loved. And I think probably because of my growing up in North Carolina, the, the basketball more so even than football because the ACC at the time, you know, was not very good. That was before the expansion. 
So those teams were not very good in football, but in basketball, they're hard to find any better uh, than that. And, um, and so as a result of being in college and all the connections there, it just led me down a path. And for me, uh, while some of my friends sort of maintained that as their primary career, for me, I ended up more in the consumer and business to business marketing area as my primary work. And the sports casting thing became more of a hobby, more something that I did on the side and uh, did stuff for, uh, you know, Marshall university for a few years, uh, for Liberty university for several, several years. Um, and, uh, and, and just, I mean, I, I, this, it's sort of when you look back, you know, you're sort of surprised sometimes when you reflect back on all of the odd things that, <laughs> that you did. Uh, but I, you know, I, I remember we back during the late 80s, we actually did, I believe, what was the first pay-per-view college football game. And it was Georgia and Vanderbilt. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was, I worked with Vince Dooley and I worked with, uh, Bob Rathbun and we did the, the very first pay-per-view, uh, football game, uh, for college back then. So there were a lot of firsts. It was a pioneering time, you know, the, the birth of ESPN and then along came all the ESPN two and ESPN U and on and on and on. But back during those early days there, there weren't a lot of places to watch uh, college sports and, and uh, so it was fun to be a part of those early days yeah and with that I mean you certainly grew up in like the heyday of college basketball especially in the location you're in so I think that's something that we may take for granted today with social media and you know high definition television you're watching the players but when you listen to play-by-play and color commentating it forces you to use your imagination and with the good play-by-play it feels like you're actually sitting there at the game watching it you can just kind of see you know, the athletes going back and cross on the field or the court. So I really love listening to it. I even forget sometimes how much work goes into that. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work that goes in the preparation for that. And you're right, it's two different, um, you know, today's environment where, uh, you know, you can watch your Twitter feed and keep up to date with several things or have your television on and have multiple screens and picture and pictures and following games and all during those early days that it, it, you did rely, um, you know, on the radio. I, I can remember so many times on a Saturday working out in the yard or washing my parent, my dad's car and having the radio blaring, uh, listening to a game to pass time and, and all. And the best radio announcers were ones who certainly could paint the picture. They had a, a, a theme of the game that you could sort of follow. There was a lot of drama and they just were quite frankly, very exciting. I mean, they made the games exciting. In the end, the game, you know, uh, Woody Durham used to always amaze me because uh, score was, you would think that every bat, biggest basket in the history of the basketball. <laughs> One time, Carolina beat uh, beat uh, Georgia Tech when Georgia Tech first came into the ACC and basketball beat them in their very very first game by 40 points and you would have thought that it was a two-point game right to the end it was just amazing to listen to and I yeah I loved uh, I loved listening to those guys but it takes a lot of work um, the preparation part for that because uh, for me personally when doing um, uh, whether it's radio or television and you prepare differently for each one of those but 
whether it's radio or TV, you're probably putting in about 20 hours of work uh, for uh, each basketball game that you would do and roughly 30 to 35 hours of work for each football game. Now, obviously, if you are the voice of a particular team, whether it's pro or college, uh, you're going to be more and more familiar with your team as the season goes on. Whereas if you're always, you know, having to call two different opponents to different teams every game, then your your workload is going to be different. But um, but a lot does go into it. And of course, back in the '80s, when you didn't have uh, the internet, uh, your research. Uh, often it was solely focused on your ability to access certain newspapers, stay up to date on uh, on what was available on television, radio, and um, and then of course the sports information departments and all these schools were so so important uh, for the research and everything that you had to do. Today it's it's a little bit easier, but you have to double check and make sure that everything is factually correct because there's so much on the internet that's not and you can't just accept something that's being true and or you lose your credibility and all. So but it's but there's a lot that goes into it and depending on how um you climb the ladder and what level you're working games, I mean, you know, those guys will go in two or three days ahead uh, and sit down and spend time with players and coaches. A lot of the work that I was doing regionally in the late 80s, early 90s involved um, sometimes coming in the day of the game. So if it was an afternoon uh, basketball game, you might you might not get there you know until uh, morning and, uh, and you're going to have quick interactions with folks and so all your work is done on the phone prior. But, but depending on the budgets of schools and programs and networks and depending on what you're doing uh, these days, uh, you know, the guys are coming in two or three days ahead and spending time uh, at those arenas and with those programs. I'm just curious, how much time do does the team allocate if you are there two to three days ahead of time for you to spend with the players per day? Well, yeah, normally it's really it, it is regulated and it's gotten tighter and tighter. And it all depends on uh, relationships, quite frankly. I mean, it, there's so many. It's a tight knit group of people uh, that are in this world and uh, of sports casting. They're in the world of athletics. And so it's more of a trust issue oftentimes. Um, I've, I've been with coaches who are very forthcoming and will will give you easy access and you can talk to them about even their strategy for a particular game. And they'll go in detail and tell you what the first play is they're going to run. And I mean, they give you really great information. And then there are others that just, you know, they are just as stoic as can be and they will not give you any information and make it very, very hard for you. And, and it just depends on sort of their perception of you or your relationship with them and credibility. But if you get in a couple of days Early, you've got, you know, you always have your production meetings and everything associated with uh, with the actual, especially if it's television coverage. Radio is a different kind of beast, but television is just uh, involving so many people and the producer tends to drive everything where with radio, it's a smaller, much smaller kind of a operation. But um, but when you uh, get there, you know, you're wanting to go to practice, you're going to want to view um know a couple of practices shoot arounds it all depends on again what they'll let you do certainly you're going to get to talk to the top two or three players in basketball more in football and um 
and then of course the assistant coaches are really valuable to you because the the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator, the ones who are really making the decisions and and um, handling the day to day stuff give you a lot of insight into players' abilities and things like that. So you you ha- it all depends again on on the announcer. Uh, some announcers have you know collegiate background athletically that was not the case for me I played a lot of sports in high school but I did not play college ball so I have a different sort of awareness than a person who's a former college player or pro player and even in talking the language um, you know there there the more that you're in that day-to-day world the more you're going to be versed in that and so um, you sort of just maneuver within uh, within that environment. And, of course, your sports information director at any university is very valuable to you. Uh, the local newspaper writers uh, are really valuable to you and spending time with them because they've covered, you know, most of those teams. And, um, and I've even spoken with opponents. Uh, and, of course, you can always watch um, – game film and, and other games these days that was not as easily available uh, in the past. But but I've even talked with um, former opponents or future opponents of a, of a team and their coach to get perspective on, on a particular team. So it's all how much work you want to put into it. It's like anything else. The more you prepare, the better you're going to be prepared for that one situation that's going to happen and that that others are not prepared for. And, and that's when you really want to, want to shine. So Mike, you were talking quick question about kind of how you pick games or are games picked for you? Um, and based on your availability, based on region, based on familiarity with, with that particular sport or team. Um, and if so, do you, or do you get to, uh, kind of have a little bit of play and say, hey, I prefer this team, I prefer this sport. And does that change kind of as that first guy coming out uh, really early on early on in his career versus someone more seasoned like yourself? Do you get a little bit more flexibility as time goes on? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, when you first start in this business, you know, you're willing to take practically any opportunity that's given to you. <laughs> and that's why I've done drag racing and archery and all the other kinds of wow. things. I would never have chosen to do some of those. Uh, and and I'm sure I did not, you know, probably communicate really that well in terms of describing what they were doing but i i've uh, i've done a little bit of that because you know you're just trying to get the experience i when i was in college um there were a couple of us that you know had the desire to to do sports casting and there there wasn't an avenue even uh radio avenue or whatever to do it and so we grabbed the tape recorder and sat up in the bleachers for a basketball or in the stands for football and just and we prepared as if we how we thought we would need to prepare just so we could practice and um, get in the flow of it and listen back and critique ourselves and things like that. So yeah, when, when you're just getting started, you're just looking for any and every opportunity. I did so many things even on local access television, which at the time was very, very, very uh, low budget, low quality. It all served to give opportunity for for the future as you as you progress in your career you know 
is all depending on who you work for. So if you're, if you're full-time with ESPN, you're not going to have a lot of opportunities to sort of select what you want to do, but you, you know, you earn the trust of certain producers and the executive producer and the assignment people, and they, they put you into uh, where they think you're going to best represent the network as you do things more independently, which is where I tended to focus my time because of how uh, my career evolved and where the priorities were for me, I um, had a little more flexibility, but, you know, folks might be surprised to know that, um, you know, when you go to watch a movie now, it used to be that it was Sony pictures or, you know, you see the Sony logo right before the opening um, movie title and all of that. Well, now you go to a movie and there's about seven, eight, nine different sort of production company logos that come flying in before the movie titling actually begins. Well, back during the 80s was the time period when that was happening in college sports broadcasting, where instead of just having a single entity that did the production and the airing uh, and the promotion and the marketing of a game, you had multiple partners who would get in. So there were several ESPN productions that were not done by ESPN personnel, but they were done by third-party uh, production companies that would come in and sell ESPN on the value of carrying particular games. And so those production companies would actually be, uh, you know, the producers of the content. ESPN, for example, would only be the ones airing it. But they would use all the ESPN graphics and logos and everything else, and it would be thought that it was all being done by ESPN, but but that was not the case. So in those cases, when you're working with production companies, it's different than even working for the actual channel that's airing games. And um, for me, my love of college basketball and college football is where I devoted my energy. I had opportunities to do a lot of baseball, especially minor league baseball, as I was sort of coming up through the experience and I just did not enjoy it as much I think it was just a slower pace and it, it just wasn't my thing whereas a buddy of mine um, just loved baseball and he went up through the single a double a triple a ended up with the Anaheim Angels uh, doing their play-by-play -play and uh, ultimately ended up at the University of Illinois as their play-by-play -play guy uh, for football and basketball, but he just loved baseball and that was his path. And a lot of the great announcers, you know, nationally are very good baseball uh, announcers, but that was not something that I really enjoyed. So I sort of took a different path. So I, there's opportunities to choose, um, to, again, depending on who your employer is and, and, uh, and where your abilities lie. That makes sense. Um, so something that even though the, the three of us uh, have known each other for 30 plus years now, one thing that we had to get used to pretty quick off the bat was kind of um, on screen or on air chemistry. Um, even with knowing each other so long, finding that chemistry and talking to each other via, you know, telephone, essentially, uh, is not something we were used to doing at the time. So how important is chemistry in the booth with someone um, and do you and a partner, you guys typically try to sync up together, uh, especially when you're doing some of these regional coverages, uh, just because to keep that chemistry intact as you go. Yeah. Cause you really want to talk during the week. You, you want to be with someone that you like. Now I can tell you, I have worked with, uh, most people 
worked with, I've really enjoyed, and they've just been enjoyable people. But I would be lying if I didn't tell you there were some that I really just didn't like. <laughs> I didn't like. Uh, I didn't like what they said. I didn't like the way they said it, and both on the air and off the air. So, uh, but you know, your job is is. Um, is to make the viewing or listening experience good for the audience. And you have to try and, you know, not make that uh, an issue. And, and I, I learned early on, you know, there's all kinds of styles um, um, uh, and personalities. And some are, I've been in situations where even as a play-by-play announcer, it was hard for me to even get the opportunity to describe the game because the color analyst so much wanted to tell about everything that was going on that, you know, and, and would just try and take over. And so you're constantly, you know, trying to manage that. Um, but my feeling was that what was important was the game and the players and the coaches, not the announcers. And so it's almost like with a, with a referee uh, situation, if, if a referee does a good job, people don't even remember that there were referees on the floor. They just enjoy the game and it's a great experience. And really broadcasting is sort of that way too. If it's really done right and done well, people remember the great highlights of the athletes and the coaches, not some cutesy little phrase that an announcer said to, to get extra attention. You know, the players all want to be on um, sports center, right? They want to be on the top 10 plays of the night or whatever. Well, there are announcers who also want to be in the top 10 and they will look for any opportunity to uh, overly describe or overly hype or use that one phrase that they prepared for that game so that they can make their way into the sports center top 10 uh, as the background to a play. And to me, I always thought that was not the, uh, not the role of a sports announcer. Well, sports announcers shouldn't be what you remember about a game. It should be, you know, the players. And so that happens, you know, when you have really good dialogue with a color analyst where you're both, you know, you're in a conversation and you're both commenting, but the play-by-plays guy, uh, a play-by-play guy's responsibility is different than the color analyst. And sometimes you have play-by-play guys that try to be analysts and you have analysts who try to, you know, do the play-by-play. And, and the longer you work together, uh, I think, helps, and you'll sort of learn to play off each other. You know, having a good sense of humor is important, you know, balancing your style. Um, and I think the big thing is just, you know, not competing with each other for airtime or something, but being able to uh, defer to the, the other based on, on what the specific role is for them. And I, I've been in situations where I've worked with uh, people for a long time and, and, but most of the time you're working with someone uh, for the very first time or second time. I remember I had to work with uh, you guys might remember Norm Sloan from the North Carolina state basketball days as a coach. And, and he was, he had retired from coaching and all, and he wanted to do some, color he wanted to see if he could do it and so we had a uh, game in the southern conference and he was going to work with me uh, on the game and it, it was 
new to him. And so I was trying to make sure that I protected him from being embarrassed or anything by what he was doing while at the same time, of course, not wanting to embarrass myself <laughs> and help him, you know, be able to shine. And I think we, we got through it and he did it a few more years. Uh, one time I had a color analyst again, who was breaking and it was the first, he had done radio before, but he had never done television. And when we, uh, and I really didn't know what to expect. I'd only had dinner with him the night before, and and we were, I think we were at Radford doing a, uh, a Division One uh, game at Radford, and I don't remember who they were playing. But um, so we did our little stand up, and it went fine. He was sort of a concise person, but he, you know, he said good things, and and so then we sat at the table. The game started. And I paused in my normal places because the play-by-play guy is usually telling, describing the action. And then when the ball is dead, that's typically when the color analyst is going to jump in. Well, when, and I, you sort of get into a rhythm that's sort of a comfortable rhythm. Well, this, this uh, guy, every time I would pause in a dead ball, he wasn't saying anything. And I, <laughs> and I would sort of elbow him and try to get him to, to jump in. And then when, when the action was happening and I'm describing, he would sort of have these little outbursts of excitement about, you know, what was happening in the play. But, but when it was his time to talk, he wasn't. And the producer kept saying to me, you're just going to have to do both the play-by-play and the color. (laughs) And it was really one of those you wanted to be over as fast. I mean, it was the longest game ever. So all kinds of combinations, but you're right. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you are with each other. Even just what you can say from a humorous standpoint, not to uh, embarrass, but to to really be funny, uh, you know, requires, you know, working together over a period of time. As you said that, it makes me think, even though we've all known each other for the majority of our life, we still have to learn to get that chemistry on on air with each other and just not talk over each other. So it's been fun learning that. Um, yeah. Yes. I don't know that we ever need to go back and re-listen to ourselves episode one through five ever. <laughs> I understand. Well, it's hard, too, when you can't see each other, you know, over over a audio connection because – you know, when you're sitting at a table or you're in a TV booth or something like that, at least you can look at the person. We, you know, you can have hand signals. We, I mean, I, we used to elbow each other crazy, all the different kind of combinations, whatever it took to communicate uh, non-verbally so that verbally it would flow better. But when you're in this kind of situation, that's really hard to do. So I can't, I can't imagine. Uh, well, we certainly appreciate that insight there. So we are going to go ahead, uh, throw out the yellow flag, and just take a quick break, thank our sponsors. Uh, so we'll be back with you in just a moment. And welcome back to episode 26 of the Sports Talk Garage podcast. We're happy you're back. And again, thank our sponsors for helping make this podcast uh, something that we can come and enjoy. And again, we are joined by Mike Tilly, a play-by-play analyst, longtime uh, with major networks, called a lot of games, both basketball and football at the collegiate level. Uh, so just kind of hopping back into things, Mike. Uh, first, since you've done this, you've been in the industry for a while, and have been uh, at all levels of college and even other areas outside of football and basketball. What would you say is a realistic career path for someone who's interested in for a career? Well, it's, uh, it's hard work, and I think a lot of people dream of, um, of doing – 
I don't say a lot of people, but if you're if you have a passion for sports and you especially if you played the game uh, and and you have sort of a knack for that, there, there's a great desire to do it. But it's it is a lot of work. It is about building relationships with the right people. Um, it's looking for opportunities and doing the hard work early on that that no one else wants to do, uh, so that you can open doors and practice to, to get the opportunities. I think, you know, you have to find the right niche for you. Not everybody is going to be, um, you know, a, a, a national network uh, Super Bowl announcer or whatever, even though that might be your dream. But what, where can you excel? Where can you enjoy uh, working? And then as doors are open, then obviously you're going to you're going to step uh, through those. Um, I think if you are a, these days, especially if you find success in being a college athlete or especially a pro athlete, then you'll find more doors open to you. If you have the ability of, of speaking and communicating and all just because you'll have had the experience of that. Whereas others who've, who've sort of watched from the sidelines may be very good at uh, communicating, but maybe just don't have the depth of knowledge, experience, or credibility that comes along with being uh, an athlete. But, you know, one of the things I had to do um, growing up in North Carolina, I had a pretty strong North Carolina accent. And one of the things that you were told to do was that you needed to have a Midwest uh, sounding accent. So you were more, um, you know, consistent and didn't, weren't doing a lot of things that would be offensive to other parts of the country and not even understood by other parts of the country. And uh, so I did a lot of work uh, in college, you know, all the pronunciation uh, exercises and learning how to pronounce words and all of that kind of thing that um, that helped me uh, get stronger. And it really has served me in a lot of ways, uh, whether I'm making a presentation or doing something for my full-time uh, work these days you know, that was really, you know, honing up on the communication part. And then I can tell you that reading is very, very important because in reading, not just the content that you're going to uh, talk about or to be an expert on, but just gaining the vocabulary to be able to describe something uh, and to describe it well and not get boring. You can be very boring by using the same words over and over and over again. So it's it's helpful to broaden your vocabulary and not speak beyond what the average listener would understand. But but to use good variety and paint pictures, uh, whether that be for radio or TV. You know, TV is more of a, it's almost like you're giving captions to a game when you're doing television. They can see, people can see what's going on. Your, your approach to that type of a game is very different than radio, where you're having to really paint the whole picture. But in both cases, you're using a lot of words. But if, you, if someone has interest in going into this field, I would say number one is... Uh, be knowledgeable. Number two is be learn how to be a good communicator. Number three, make good relationships uh, with folks in the industry. Find a, a mentor. Find someone you really like. Go sit down. I, when I was in high school, I called uh, Woody Durham, who's the voice of the Tar Heels, said, "Hey, I'm just a college kid. I want to do this. Can I visit with you?" He said, "Yes, come." And so I went and spent. I don't know, about an hour and a half with him. He showed me all his charts and how he put games together and what he did and was just so helpful and encouraging to me. And there are many announcers like that who would love to give um, up-and-coming announcers those kinds of opportunities and 
so I would seize that that kind of opportunity and go sit down and go to the games, go in the TV booths, be a part of a production, um, and uh, and just again look for the opportunities and, and make opportunities. Mike, you you kind of already briefly touched on what advice you would give. Um, as far as networking, uh, taking kind of any and every opportunity that's given to you, especially early on. But from like a, a college standpoint, uh, nowadays, would it be helpful for someone to go into more of a broadcasting focused school? Like, like you know, I'm a few miles away from like Illinois Media and Broadcasting School, or does a traditional four year college get them or potentially get them down the same career path? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I don't, um, I'm not sure that the collegiate training is uh, vital in, in this particular field. I think being an athlete would be more vital. Uh, uh, I think uh, certainly, again, being a good communicator and being smart is, is important to any field, and it would be to this. So I think going to college, taking the classes, uh, uh, becoming you know, a, a much uh, the best communicator that you can possibly become is critical. And I think college allows someone to do that probably more effectively than anything else. But um, for me, I studied communications with a minor in journalism. And I think writing is really important because there's so much that you have to do that involves writing and, and, and thinking through things. So um, I think that's critical. I know Syracuse, of course, is the big sportscasting college, and there's so many of the top talent has come out of Syracuse. But the reason, I think, is just because of the networking associated with that. When you get a couple of big announcers out of a school and they're in positions of influence, then obviously they're going to look to their alma mater and those relationships will be built and that'll give opportunities for others. Um, so I don't think necessarily it's the school. Now, growing up, uh, UNC was was a big, uh, had a big radio television program. And I consider, in the end, I did not. I went to Liberty. But I thought, um, you know, there was great uh, training there. And again, networking, a lot of uh, sort of newsy kind of reporter, national newsy people came out of Carolina. And, and, uh, and they just continued to repeat that. Um, by uh, success because of the networking piece of it. So in the end, I think it's the relationship and it's the networking that's going to open those doors. Absolutely. So kind of on a side note, is there a specific game or, uh, you know, something that you've commentated on that was either your favorite or the most exciting, something that really pops into memory that, that you would share with us? Oh, wow. Um, thank you for asking that. I, you know, I've done so many, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I, I remember um, <laughs> this was really going way back. And this was even just as a college student. I remember I was doing a college basketball game uh, that uh, at this particular game was Liberty and Longwood College. They were about 60 miles from each other in Virginia and uh, Liberty was hosting Longwood, and there had been this ongoing, I mean, it was a huge rivalry. The coaches really despised each other because of the recruiting kinds of scenarios, and the the fans just did not like each other. The Both schools were just very, very different philosophically, um, and this particular, I mean, the 
the arena was packed. Um, the, it ended up being a game that went into three overtimes. I remember, uh, I think I was just yelling at the top of my lungs <laughs> by the end of the game and losing my voice. And I probably, I don't know if you guys remember Slim Whitman, but he was like a yodeler or whatever back in the day. And my voice was a little bit yodely by the time I got to the end. I was so much losing my voice. But just the excitement and the intensity of that game just reinforced to me how much I loved uh, doing it. And, um, and it sort of encouraged me, inspired me to do other things. But um, I remember the first time I had an ESPN game, uh, which was, was just so exciting to me because I I was working and trying to get opportunities, and it was actually the Southland Conference uh, Basketball Championship game. It was in um, Monroe, Louisiana, and uh, I remember Texas Arlington was one of the teams that was playing, and uh, John Saunders was the uh, anchor on ESPN, and this was before ESPN2 and all that. And uh, so he threw it to me to have a back-and-forth dialogue with him, and I was so excited that I was having that. There was a big story where one player had attempted to kill another person, and so we had to do this special story on it that was emerging. That was So it was like this sort of a lot going on even around the game uh, before the game itself happened. And I just remember thinking, okay, this is, you know, this is why I'm doing this. And I just loved uh, every minute of it. So there's just been little things along the way, you know, some special moments, you know, I went to Liberty uh, university and did a play by play for, a, for many years with their uh, college basketball and football. They were always trying to promote their programs and they would put them on all these different kind of television scenarios and uh, networks and just to, to promote, quite frankly, the, the program and the school. And, um, and I just remember watching Liberty's program grow and develop and uh, just all the things it had to overcome to move up from the you know, NAI to division one, division two and division one, double a division one, just that whole progression and just being a part of that. And uh, a lot of emotion associated with that whole uh, progress over a 25 year period. It was fun to watch and, and be part of too. So, but it's hard to pinpoint, you know, and try to think of a specific game. It's, it's sort of hard because I think they all had their own sort of unique flair to them. I can imagine that. I so, can't wait like, for you to tell us that it's that it's a archery match that you got to come. <laughs> like well, I did game. not get hit by an arrow or anything like that. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> oh my goodness, you guys would not believe. I mean, it, it, I did. I've done every. I really think everything that's any kind of competitive sport I have done in one way or another, uh, at least once. And oh it's just, oh my goodness, yeah. I don't want to do those again. <laughs> no so water I, polo at liberty sorry john go ahead <laughs> so mike is it is it more difficult to announce uh, or do play-by-play for a team that you're a fan of uh does that make things easier just because you're familiar with it and you already have kind of that passion behind it or is it harder because of the fact you want to say kind of level-headed across both teams yeah so if if you're working for a university let's say or you're working for let's say you're working for an NFL team or whatever then your job really is to be a promotions person you're a cheerleader your job is to promote 
the team and the athletic. Yes, you're describing it and all, but your your job is to hype your team. And so that's a very different kind of a scenario than if you are, um, you know, an announcer that comes in and you're you have a different game every week and you're working maybe for ESPN or CBS Sports or whatever, and you're doing something very very different every week. Um, you're going to have your favorites. You're going to have teams that you really like and players that you like and coaches that you like and relationships that exist because of the the small circle of of folks. You know, there's a lot of people uh, that are members of the national sports media uh, organization and uh, that are in this whole sports casting field and they mingle with these coaches and um, there's just a lot of camaraderie so you do develop your favorites um but at the same time if you're supposed to be independent and you i tell you what the hardest thing to do is when you're uh in a uh, an arena that's packed and full uh it's your your emotion sort of goes with the emotion of that arena and so (laughs) as a team does really well and the crowd gets really into it and of course you're also raising your voice but you're you're also excited and so you almost get more excited because the home team scored than you are because of the visiting team scoring and if you're not careful you become you know the the home team announcer uh, as it goes along so you do have to use discipline you try not to be too emotionally involved and um, but that's hard it really is hard okay all right, well, as we are winding down, um, we're going to just have one last question for you. Since you mentioned you've got a pretty wide perspective uh, for doing this for a while, and you mentioned archery and drag racing and pretty much any type of competitive sport there is. So if you think of something you have not done, if there is just one game uh, for that you could call, any sport, any level, what would it be? Okay, why? well, that's easy. I mean, I could, I could list a bunch of things for you in that, but I uh, – <laughs> Uh, I would love to do the Super Bowl, uh, and I don't think Jim Nance is going to give up his slot for that anytime <laughs> soon. But I, you know, as a kid growing up, I always wanted, um, I always wanted to be one of those guys doing play-by-play for the Super Bowl. Now, here in Atlanta, where I live uh, now, I, I mean, this this place is becoming a sports town. You know, of course, we've got the Braves and the Hawks and the Falcons, and even soccer is becoming a big deal now in Atlanta, but, um, you know, with the Mercedes stadium that they have recently, uh, built, you know, we've got the super bowl and the final four is going to be here next year. And, uh, the, the college football national championship was back in 2018. Um, this place is really buzzing with excitement. Um, so I'm always thinking uh, maybe the Super Bowl will come back. Maybe Jim Nance will get sick. Hmm. Maybe they will call <laughs> me to come in at the last minute. So I will probably study and be prepared in case that opportunity <laughs> case. comes up. Yeah, but um, I doubt I doubt that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we certainly appreciate you coming on tonight. It's been a wealth of knowledge and very interesting to learn from you. I, as John mentioned earlier, we could definitely go all night just talking because this has been very fun. So we appreciate you taking the time to come out and just uh, go over kind of what the career looks like of being a play-by-play announcer. Thanks, David and John. I really enjoyed it. And I'm really enjoying listening to your podcast. I've signed up and I'm going to tell everybody about them. And I, I can't wait to listen and follow the garage. I'll be listening to the garage. <laughs> 
awesome. We appreciate that. Thank, Thank you, sir. You. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to have your sports-related question or comment featured on the show, please email us at sportstalkgarage at gmail.com. Also, if you want to keep up to date with us outside of the show, please follow us on Twitter at sportsgaragepod. If you enjoy the show, please drop us a five-star review and subscribe if you want to hear more. So for Chris back in the studio, David and Matt, I'm John, and we are the Sports Talk Garage. Thank you.